0: You know, those who oppose Christianity, they often claim that the conversion experience uh, when someone goes from being an unbeliever to a believer um, is sort of like a psychological phenomenon, something that makes people feel better about themselves. Um, and that's great. You know, in naturalistic terms, they would say that's a subjective experience. And, uh, and hey, that's great for you if you believe and, uh, and it works for you, if it makes you feel better then, hey, no harm, no foul. Good for you. But don't try to tell other people that they're wrong. The interesting thing about the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives is, and others' lives, is when we make a strong affirmation of something that is true, well, of course, it implies that other belief systems are false, and the Spirit of God in people's lives convicts them of their sin. And that makes people really, really defensive. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that or experienced that yourself, but... Um, but people will go on to say, right, if, if someone confesses uh, their sin, and this would be sin in the capital S sort of way, right? Confidence in themselves for their own morality. If someone turns from themselves and trusts Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins, well, that implies that someone else is also in need of forgiveness for sin. And um, if someone makes that repentance and believing that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us to live a perfect, sinless human life that no one has ever lived before and willingly dies on a cross at Calvary to pay the very real penalty for for sin, which God requires in his holiness. Those those folks are spiritually made alive in Christ. They're relationally restored with their creator, God and heavenly father and empowered to live a new life of righteousness, righteousness. Skeptics will say, well, good for you. I'm, I'm fine with that. You just keep it over there in your own little box, right? There, there are many ways up the mountain to God, and I'm glad you, that's the path that you chose. That's, that's great for you. What's more, though, we're seeing in the last uh, 10, 15 years, those who, who have been a part of a faith community... Uh, those who have been part of a Christian faith community who are deconstructing their faith. It's quite a popular thing now. There are actually books written for how to deconstruct your faith. It's a really sad tale right now. And just on the side, a side note, it's one thing to rethink tradition that may be extra biblical outside of the Bible, but given more authority than what the Bible would give. It's one thing to rethink traditions and see what's really connected uh, in the best way to the word of God and adjust traditions. It's a very other thing. It's a very different thing to deconstruct the Christian message of the gospel. And uh, someone who has said, I've been a Christian for, I don't know, five years, 20 years, 30 years. I grew up in the faith." And now I've decided that it's not true. It's really quite, a, quite an arrogant thing. And um, it grieves me when people of their own wisdom decide that uh, they think the Bible is wrong. And they walk away from people who, people who have seemed like they've walked with Jesus for many, many, many years. And now rather than throw stones, what we do is we say, Oh God, would you please bring them, open their eyes and bring them to repentance? Maybe they genuinely are a believer and they're just having a difficult time in this season of their life. And sometimes a season is months and sometimes it's years, sometimes it's decades, but God is merciful and gracious. Every one of us in here who who is a Christian is only one by the mercy and grace of God. And so that's what we would pray for those who say, I'm just deconstructing my faith and it's no longer true and I've found a different way that leads me to God or leads me to heaven. Well, we just pray and we say, Lord, open their eyes right? I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to listen to it. We'll love him. We'll get to know him uh, and we'll pray for him. Right. Um, But that's why we need to uh, emphasize God's objective witnesses to Christ and not just our own personal truth. Right. You hear the phrase, my truth. Right. And generally people being well-meaning typically mean something like this. Tell me your story often in, it, in its best sense when people say, hey, tell me, share me, you know, tell me your truth. Typically what, what, what they sometimes mean is, let me hear your story. I want to get to know you. I want, I want to get to know your understanding of things. But as Christians, we affirm there's one truth and that truth is revealed to us clearly and without error and fully in the word of God right? Creation tells us some things about God, but the word of God makes it very specific and and very, very clear. I recently heard somebody say, gravity won't be offended if you don't believe in it, right? In fact, you can go out and you can shout in the streets and you can hold up signs and say, gravity's a lie. It's not true. Well, at some point you're going to have to jump off something to prove it. You're going to have to jump off to some off something or go far enough away from this planet that gravity well, it's still true, but it wouldn't hold its sway at that point, right? And, um, but gravity won't be offended. Gravity? Gravity's fine. God is fine. People say, the Bible is a lie. God is not up there wiping tears from his eyes. Oh, he doesn't believe what I say. Unfortunately, it will come in the form of judgment one day, and, and we don't want that. So we hold this truth highly and hopefully simply for people to understand. And this is what John is communicating in this uh, little letter to the Ephesian church about uh, 50 to 65, 70 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? Uh people will discover in the end that the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament was true all along, the 66 books of the Bible. And in 1 John 5, 6 through 12, he brings to the forefront God's testimony to his son, Jesus Christ, right? God has given us everything we need to know in his word to understand our hearts and understand how we have salvation and how we can walk in a way Uh, in faith and in obedience that is pleasing to the Lord. And so John John speaks these testimonies here this morning. Would you read with me on your electronic device or uh, your paper Bible, whatever it might be? There's a Bible in a seat back near you. It's toward the end of the Bible, right before uh, Jude and and Revelation. 1 John 5, 6 through 13. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is that he, uh, for the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son, Whoever believes in the Son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have Now, we're going to focus on 6 through 12 today, but I want to read verse 13. He says, I write these things to you. Now, that means everything that we've read in 1 John, right? These small few pages in your Bible, five, six pages in your Bible, John is saying, everything I've written to you, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And then he goes on to talk about the life of, of prayer in the Christian, John wants us to know that believing God's trustworthy witnesses gives Christians confidence for fellowship with God believing God's trustworthy witnesses <clears throat> excuse me gives confidence for fellowship with God God's given us trustworthy threefold witness and these words are repeated some three four times in these first few verses of of verses six. Through nine. Now remember, just back one verse, and I'm not going to put this on the screen for you, but just verse 5. John says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so belief is the main thrust of salvation. Often you'll see the word believe, you see the word faith in your Bible. These are similar Greek words translated depending on the context, which would be most helpful for us. But while belief is the main thrust, it is never blind faith, belief and faith. It's never, ever blind faith. Well, I need to have it proven to me. No, you don't. You want to have it proven to you. God says here, I've given you the testimony that you need. Testimony of the water, testimony of the blood, testimony of the a Holy Spirit, a threefold witness, and they all agree about their testimony of who Jesus is. Faith is firmly supported in the testimony, the accurate biblical testimony that we have, the facts established uh, that are God's testimony to the person and work of Jesus. Remember, that the, the, this, the claim of those who were struggling with the Christian belief system in this day these Gnostics their claim was that God in himself could not actually he was too holy to come and walk among us in life so the claim was that Jesus wasn't really the son of God for that reason God's too holy to come and be among us and John is refuting that claim right and so he brings some witnesses to the stand, right? If this is a courtroom, you see witnesses go to the stand and he brings a few witnesses to the stand. The first witness is the witness of Jesus's baptism. The word water used uh, several times here, four times in these three, four verses here, refers to Jesus's baptism. At Jesus's baptism, now you just think about what all is happening here. So be very careful for me to sort of constrain myself because it's very easy to dip, to jump off into several kind of side messages here, but at Jesus's baptism, God intervenes. Jesus goes and, 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 and and John, not, not this John, but John the Baptist says, oh, I can't baptize you. And, And Jesus says, well, you must, you must, uh, to fulfill what was written. And he says, okay, got it. Let's do this then. And and as Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water, in Matthew's gospel, he tells us that a, a dove came from heaven and it rested on Jesus and a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is God's testimony that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is who the prophets of old says he would be. This is my guy. This is my man, my son. This is me in fleshly form. This is me. Now there, this is actually a, a, a difficult passage in some sense, as there are a few different translations or let me rephrase, not translations, a few different understandings of what water and blood can mean. And I really don't have time to go into a lot of them, but, but just by way of highlighting a couple, some believe that water refers to Jesus's birth, right? That's a view I, I held uh, years back. Um, some believe that it refers to the Christian's own baptism and, uh, some believe that it refers to the water and blood that flowed from Jesus's side when they pierced him with a spear. They're all logical. They're all beliefs that, uh, that are held by godly people, right? But I believe a context helps us to see, and most commentators land on this position that the, the water and the blood refer to, first, Jesus's baptism, and second, the blood of to Jesus' crucifixion and part of that reason is because of the word came this is he who came by water and blood he came by water when he inaugurated or he initiated his earthly ministry right jesus was uh, in his third decade as he began his ministry and jesus came He initiated his ministry with his baptism. He wasn't baptized for repentance because he had no repentance that needed to be done. But he was baptized in obedience to fulfill the scriptures because he identified fully with humanity. When he came by water is his way of saying, I'm here, I'm one of you. I'm here, I'm one of you. And Jesus connected the dots with Nicodemus in John chapter three, verse five. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. To be born of water is is an internal belief evidenced through the external sign of believer's baptism in obedience to God's command. I know there's a whole lot of questions that can come with that way I worded that statement. And that's okay. Come ask me about them. I'd love to talk with you about them. To be born of water is this internal belief of faith, evidenced by the external sign of obedient believer's baptism. The second witness is Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus' crucifixion. This is the second witness uh, that, that John calls to the stand, right? It's represented by the word blood, the water and the blood. Jesus himself said from the cross when he said, it is Finished it was a bloody death. I remember when um the passion came out. I will tell you there are there is movie after movie after movie after movie with blood and gore chainsaws, and all kinds of stuff. I shouldn't have gotten so specific. Sorry, parents, if you have younger kiddos. I didn't mean to get too tangible. But all of a sudden, the passion of the Christ comes out, and all of Hollywood is offended that this movie is bloody. Because the Son of God gave himself to be beaten beyond recognition, mocked, scorned, a crown of thorns pressed upon his head. Uh, when I was a pastor in in New Jersey, a worship pastor in new jersey we uh, we did a a decent passion play, and uh, one of my friends played Jesus and uh, we bought a crown of thorns and, uh, it needed to look real, which means it needed to be sharp, very pointy. And so we cut all of the points on one side off and we put lots of stuff, uh, underneath to help protect him and painted it the color of his skin. And I mean, we had some folks who went at it. It looked pretty good. And, but you know what? Uh, he was on the cross. He had this crown of thorns gently placed on his head. And in the mix of just trying to act out, give a a reasonably realistic presentation of what happened, he got bloody. And we were trying so hard for him not to get bloody. And you couldn't tell what was his blood versus what was our fake blood that we were using. And when he got raised up on the cross, and the cross kind of dropped down into the support system we had... It got bloodier. And we were trying so hard not to be. Friends, Jesus' crucifixion was not the painting that we have in our living rooms. It wasn't pretty. It was agony. It was bloody mess. Because blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sins. From early in the Old Testament, we see this all the way through. We have the testimony of Jesus's baptism through water. And we have the testimony of Jesus's crucifixion of his blood poured out for man. But you know, when Jesus died on the cross, there's additional testimony that comes—significant, historically verified testimony. One, Matthew 27:45 tells us there was darkness across the land from noon until three o'clock, three hours. Now, if you've ever gone down into one of those caves that uh, where, where they get you all lined up and you you go on the street, you walk down lots of steps, and 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 uh, one of these caves where you can't see anything once they shut off the lights, right? And they warn you, you know, hold on, to your parents, hold on to your kids. If if you, you know, get dizzy, put your hand on the railing so you have a point of reference. Because in a minute, we're going to shut off the lights. And everybody's like, oh, okay, ready. And then they got the guy, you know, their hand on the switch or the remote or whatever. Okay, is everybody ready? Yeah, yeah, we're ready. Okay, I'm about to shut it off. I mean, they're just saying this is dark. Early historians would tell us it was so dark, you couldn't have seen your hand right in front of your face. God intervened when Jesus gave his testimony by water through speaking from heaven and sending the Holy Spirit as a dove and God intervened with an additional testimony of the blood of Jesus Christ when the skies were black as black for three hours. The curtain of the sanctuary was torn from top to bottom. This thing was twice the size of this room. Not the kind of thing some pranksters could climb up on a ladder and tear. No. God tore the curtain from top to bottom to say, I have made the way. You no longer need to go through a priest, a high priest, in order to commune with me. You can come to me if you believe. There was an earthquake. Chapter 27, verse 51 of Matthew tells us. The next verses tell us a number of Old Testament saints were raised and they appeared to many as firstfruits of the resurrection for all who trust in Jesus. And a hardened, as miraculous as all of these other things, a hardened Roman centurion said, truly, this man is the son of God. I will tell you, a human heart, That is bent on going its own way. When that human heart repents, a miracle has occurred. Not your wisdom in a good conversation, not the way you've tried to help them understand the facts of the gospel. People understand the facts all day long. Zaria Butterfield was an Ivy League literary critic, and she approached the Bible, one who was vehemently against the gospel of Jesus, and she approached the Bible as a literary critic, and in so doing, like Chuck Colson, was converted. She'd read the Bible before, but the Holy Spirit bore witness to her and made her heart alive. In faith and she believed the, the fact that God would send his own son unbelievers critics of the faith call it cosmic child abuse those who are, who are antagonistic to the Christian faith will describe it in many 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 ways now we have to be careful to remember they're the same kind of bad person, if you will, that we are, were before Jesus changed us. We're not any better than they are. And so we pray, God, open their eyes. God, open their eyes. God, open their eyes. God, open their eyes. I hear some people say, well, it's, we have to choose to believe. Sure. There's a human and a divine or a human and a divine component to it. I'll, I'll give you that. We'll acknowledge that. But if you don't believe that it's God who changes the human heart, why do you even pray? because you pray, Lord, would you help them believe? Why? I mean, if, if it's all of mankind to choose, we should just be having conversations with people nonstop, but we don't. We say, God, would you open their eyes? Would you give them faith? Would you help them believe? Would you make it possible for them to understand something that they read as a textbook, make it come alive to them? A.W. So- Tozer says, well, we pray this way because it's ultimately what we really believe. God has to change the human heart. David Pallison says, so many people want a therapeutic gospel, one that, one that uh, gives people what they want and promotes their welfare and promotes their temporal happiness. Christian Smith refers to it as Christian therapeutic deism. We want God to make life easy make us feel better and give us what we want brothers and sisters friends guests that is not the gospel message revealed in the bible where the king of heaven came down not to not to help us like a crutch as some call it they're right in thinking something's broken and we need help but we need more than help we don't need a crutch to help a broken leg we need open heart surgery Not to repair some valves, valves of understanding, but to take out an old heart and put in a new heart to make us lovers of God rather than lovers of self. The cross tells us that the king of heaven has come down. Remember I said with Jesus' baptism, and how we help how we understand these two words to mean his baptism and his crucifixion. Jesus came when he inaugurated his ministry. God, the King of Heaven, has come down, and God was in Christ, is in Christ, obviously reconciling himself to the world. This is He, Jesus Christ, who came by water. He came by blood. And it's the Spirit of God that testifies to the witness at Jesus' baptism and at Jesus' crucifixion. I've already mentioned it, but I want to go on and mention a few other ways that we see the witness of the Spirit of God here. There are three that testify. Oh, I'm sorry, let me let me go back up to verse, uh, verse six. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit of God is the truth. There are three that testify the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. So we have a a Trinitarian witness, God the Father, through the Spirit of God, in the person and work of Jesus. And John mentions again the Spirit here three times. He says the same thing about the Spirit in his gospel, the Gospel of John 15 26. When the Helper comes, Helper is another word for the Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, who comes from, flows from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Quickly, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth who reveals divine truth. That's why there are times you can read a passage of Scripture. You may have spent years reading the Bible before, and then one day you read it and it came alive to you. Because the Spirit of God birthed in you a longing for him. The Spirit of God came alive through his living and active word of God. He reveals divine truth, particularly about Jesus. And I love this. The Spirit points to Jesus the Son, and Jesus the Son points to the Father. In the Gospel of Mark, we studied this a few years ago, we learned that because Uh, The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus for his ministry. It's blasphemy to attribute Christ's miraculous works to the devil. It's blasphemy. That's why it's called blasphemy of the Spirit. Pastor James Merritt says this well as he he speaks about the Holy Spirit testifying to the Son. He says, the witness of the Spirit is God's witness to us, in us, and through us. Just as the arrow of a compass always points toward the north, the Spirit of God always points to Jesus. The Spirit of God always points to Jesus. Je- Jesus said in John 16, 14, He will glorify me. He will glorify me. And so now having these three witnesses, the witness of the water, the witness of the blood, and the witness of the Spirit, these three things which agree, verse nine of our passage today says john says if we receive the testimony of men the testimony of god is greater for this is the testimony of god that he is born concerning his son i want to ask are you more prone to believe what other people say about faith in this world and how to get to heaven and how to have a right healthy relationship with god or are you more prone to believe god in his word If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning the Son. When we believe what God says through and through, we not only have this external witness, these witnesses we've just seen, we have a confident internal witness which brings assurance. Now, don't hear me say assurance of salvation and you never have any doubts or never have any questions. But you do have an overwhelming, persistent assurance that you are God's child. Remember earlier I mentioned gravity won't be offended if you call it a liar. You'll just be wrong and gravity is okay with that. To prove it, you have to step off something or you have to throw something and watch it Fall. But it doesn't change the truth that gravity will be proven time and time again. God's perfect truth is revealed in the scriptures. And it has come true, has come true. It has always been true and has been proven true time and time and time again. But ultimately, in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God, the father, whether or not you agree with it now, you will agree with it then. But only if you have the son now, will you be happy that you agree with it then? Only if you have the son now, will you be happy that you agree with it then? There are those in the early church that are proclaiming what is not true about who Jesus was. And John is helping to lovingly set the church straight. He's he's seeking to build their confidence in who Jesus is. And essentially he says, don't believe what they're saying. Look to the testimony of who we have in the water, the blood and the spirit of God. Remember John, First John 2, 2.19 says, They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all were not of us. God has given us the gift of his son, and they were trampling on it. They were trampling on the gift of God's son. I want you to listen up please, especially if you have difficulty with your family. But we all have difficulties in some ways. So I want to ask you to listen up for a minute. Well, for 40 minutes, but you know, you get the idea. In the next week, you're going to be spending precious time with family, with friends. You're going to be spending precious time with those who love you and those you love. And you're going to exchange some gifts, right? You're going to have an exchange of some gifts, and you're going to thank each other, however your family does it, right? My family has kind of grown up doing it one way, and, and that's fine. Every family is a little bit different. That's not the main point. But here's, here's what we know about, know about this, this week when we're together. Usually, at least for like 90 minutes on Christmas morning, people are kind of like on their best behavior. I know all the family jokes aside, all the uncle jokes aside, there's a point we're kind of like on best behavior together, and we just enjoy it. Because the overwhelming celebration of God giving his son to become man, to save a people for himself, impacts all of our hearts. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if someone with several gifts that are under the tree said, that's not enough. I need more. In order to believe that you really love me, I need you to give me more gifts. I need more expensive gifts. I need you to give them in a way that I think is better for you to give them to me. If I'm going to believe that you really love me, I need more, better, different. You need to give me more to show me that you really love me. Well, a parent or a grandparent or a sibling or anybody with much sense might respond with something like, oh, child, son, daughter, spouse. These gifts, no, these gifts are never intended to prove to you that I love you. No, the, these gifts are simply a small Token, a small way that I express my love to you. That's it. I can't prove it, I just do. I love you. And for your part, well, I guess you just have to believe. How much of your life have you spent looking for proof versus believing what God has already expressed? Greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. rewording greater love has no man then he leave his heavenly throne to be born of a virgin endure the discomfort the pain the suffering the vitriol the hatred the scorn the shame the mockery the beating of this world to willingly willingly lay down his life for his friends God has demonstrated his love for this, Paul says, in that while we were still sinners. Listen, if we bought Christmas presents in this previous month, or if you're a really good shopper, several months, if we like bought them and then returned them based on someone's behavior, I mean, we might as well just throw up a cot at the store. Buy it. Oh, I'm giving it back. Oh, buy it. I'm giving it back. Friends. if you're still demanding that God prove himself to you, you'll never be satisfied because you don't believe. God has demonstrated his love in a perfect way. And he says, if you believe, you have the son. And if you have a son, you have the internal, eternal testimony of life. Nothing can beat it. Nothing can beat it. If you have Jesus, you have the peace of the Spirit's internal testimony of eternal life. Whoever has the Son has life. And just... To hint, because we're not going to dive into these verses today, but I just want you to see where he's going with this. He says, I write these things to you, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we speak anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. John's purpose in writing is so that we understand that when we believe God's testimony of this threefold witness... We have confidence. We have assurance of salvation. We have confidence for fellowship with God. Friend, you don't need to prove that you really love God. God is not looking for you to prove yourself to him. Believe. Love. The rest will take care of itself.